Welcome to the Shadron Berean Church Podcast, where you'll find some of the latest teachings from Shadron Berean Church in Shadron, Nebraska. We are a loving community of believers growing in God's grace in Christ together. The heartbeat of our church is to have deep roots in the Word of God and to bear fruit by passionately applying it to our lives by His power for His glory. And we thank you for joining us. We all know, I think, what it's like to be uh, driving uh, down the street in our car and we're listening to a song on the radio and as you start to head out of town, maybe the radio starts to cut in and out a little bit and you start to hear a little bit of static and then you hear the song again and then the static and then the song before it's pretty soon it's all just static that happens to me every time I'm leaving rapid uh, listening to their Christian radio station right it just kind of fuzzes in and out until eventually it's just fuzz it's just white noise well sometimes you're on a drive like that and you're listening to one of your favorite songs right and and if you want to finish that song what do you need to do when it starts to get fuzzy you have to, oh, you could start to sing it, I guess, on your own. But you could also turn around. And you go back and you get to the point where the connection, the signal is strong again. And it's coming through clearly. Well, that's the kind of concept I want to apply to our lives through this series on prayer, and that the further we, we drift from God, the, the, uh, the weaker the connection is going to be with him, right? His voice, his presence in our lives isn't going to be near as strong as we would like it to be. The old saying is that if you feel distant from God, guess who moved? Guess who moved? Because he's always there, he's always waiting, he always wanting to spend time with us. Now, there are times where we're, where we're just going to feel distant from God. We all have times like that. There's times when God is doing a long work of faith in our lives, and he just seems silent. He seems a little distant. But um, isn't it true as well that there are, there are many times when we feel distant from God because we're just not taking the time to spend with him like we should. Uh, we're just not intentionally connecting with him through his word and through prayer. Uh, sometimes I think our life is a lot like, you know, the use of our cell phones. We might shoot him a text once in a while. We might call him for a few minutes, but when's the last time we really ever sat down with that person and, and had a meal with them, you know, with God? We sat down and had real table fellowship with God. And, and had long, deep conversations with him. There's a lot of people that, that I know of. I'll send them a text. I can call them. I might scroll through their social media feed. But I don't really know them because I'm not face-to-face -face with them, sitting down, having conversations, real deep conversations, if you know what I mean. So uh, my prayer this summer is that we will reconnect with God through prayer, and prayer simply defined as just communication with God. 
Um, it's talking to God. It's a, a key means through which we experience and connect with God. Uh, can I get the next slide, Gavin? Uh, it's, it's essential. Prayer is essential to Christian living. I mean, even when we come to the Word of God and we come to know God through His Word, how do we come to it? We come to it prayerfully. We come to it prayerfully, wanting God to speak to us through it. And so when you think about it, prayer is not an end in and of itself. We're just not, we're not going to pray just to pray. We want to pray because we want a relationship with our Heavenly Father through prayer. So the goal is not prayer, but a relationship with God. I mean, highlight that, mark it down for this whole series Because we're not here just to pray. We're here to develop through prayer a relationship with God. Um, Remember, God, he doesn't just want to save us. He doesn't just want to save us and, and someday in heaven enjoy fellowship with us. He his desire and our greatest need is to have fellowship with him now. Not wait until heaven, but to enjoy him now. Uh, that's our greatest need is to be in constant fellowship with him. And the greatest expression of this fellowship with God is in prayer. It's in prayer. And so when we fail to seek God in prayer, it's denying the purpose for which he saved us and created us for that matter. So there's this old preacher, Martin Lloyd-Jones, Um, Long dead and gone, but he said that prayer is beyond any question the highest activity of the human soul. Talk about a high view of prayer, huh? The highest activity of the human soul is in prayer. He said, "Man at his greatest and high man is at his greatest and highest when upon his knees comes face to face with God." That's a bold statement. When I read that. This week when I was studying, I thought, I have seriously had a low view of prayer at many times. I don't see it as this priority, as this highest activity of my soul. I mean, this is what we want. We want to come face to face with God. We long for God. That's our desire. And if we want to know God, we want to be used by God, uh, it's just not going to happen apart from prayer. Prayer is expressing our our dependence upon him from everything. And we are dependent upon him from everything, whether we realize it or not. Even for the very breath that we're breathing right now, he is our power source. That's how we're going to look at it in this series. He's our power source. And if we're going to connect with the power source, if we're going to be a light that he wants us to be, and we're going to have life, we need to plug into God through prayer. The prayer is our connection to him. And uh, if, I mean, if this is the case, if prayer, think about this, if prayer really is the highest activity of the human soul, if, if we are so dependent upon him for everything, it should be as natural as breathing, shouldn't it? Or at least you think it would be, that prayer would be as natural as breathing. It should be a way of life to pray. But then why do we struggle with prayer so much? 
Some of you are probably thinking this morning, oh no, here comes that series on prayer. I've got to find something to do for the month of July. I can't go to church. I'm convicted about my prayer life. Why? Because we all struggle with prayer. I remember back in Bible school, the temptation to skip the prayer chapel. because I didn't have to. I was a married student. I didn't have to go to that thing. But really, because prayer's a struggle, right? Um, I want to highlight a few ways that, that we find frustration in our prayer lives. And, and the reality is that most Christians are frustrated with their prayer lives. But frustration number one is the, the done that before prayer life. The done that prayer life. Uh, maybe I've tried that before prayer life. Sometimes I think our prayer lives are like an old diet. <laughs> maybe we've, we've made efforts to improve our prayer lives in the past and we've become very disciplined in this area for a while and then it just kind of becomes routine and kind of dead and it slowly fades as a priority in our lives. And to be honest, maybe we've done that a handful of times. We've gone on the prayer diet several times and fell off that diet. You know what I mean? Uh, I think that is a a normal experience for many Christians. Oh, pastor's doing this prayer series. I'm going to get serious about my prayer life, and then what happens two months from now? The prayer life dies off again. It's like a bad diet, and we fall into the rut, and so many of us have just kind of given up on it altogether, and we don't want to take prayer seriously because we know we're not going to measure up, and we're going to fall into this rut again. So that's frustration number one. Frustration number two is the drowned out prayer life. Our prayer lives are just drowned out by the, here's the word, busyness of life. Our culture, I'm not, not blaming it all on our culture, but man, our culture makes it hard to pray, doesn't it? Uh, it's, it's easy to bow down to the gods of noise and hurry and crowds and work and entertainment. And it is very uncomfortable, hard to slow down enough to quiet our souls and pray. It's just way easier anytime I have a moment where I have nothing to do, even if it's just standing in the line at the grocery store. I get one minute at the grocery store standing in line. What is the first thing we do? We pull out our phones and we start scrolling because we have a minute of downtime. Our, I mean, prayer isn't even in a consideration. And so that's that's the way we tend to operate. We sometimes tell us, every bone in our, we tell ourselves, that, and every bone in us is telling ourselves that we need to be at work. We need to be productive. I don't have time to pray. And then when we aren't working, we're so, I don't know, exhausted that we feel like we need some entertainment. And so we veg out. Um, Again, just don't want us to, I don't know, I don't want to slap you on the wrist, but <laughs> this, is, this, is, this is convicting. Uh, we let prayer slide. We don't even consider it sometimes. It's just drowned out by everything that's going on around us. Uh, frustration number three is the divided prayer life. Um, I don't want to pray because... Every time I do, I just get divided in my thoughts anyway, and I get distracted. What do I do with that? 
Am I dishonoring God when I get distracted in my thoughts? As soon as I pray five minutes into it, not even that, I got the to-do list coming up on my mind. Why do I do it? How do I deal with that? Um, what about, there's a lot of people who just aren't sure where to even start with prayer. There's a lot of different uh, prayer cultures out there, even in Christian society. What does prayer look like? What's the biblical doctrine teaching for prayer? How should I pray? I mean, do I have to do the sign of the cross? And all of that, where did that come from? Is that proper prayer? Why do some people pray in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and some people pray to the Father in the name of the Son? What's proper? What does the Bible teach about that? I'm divided about that. I don't even know how to pray. And then there's those who feel like they can't pray because there's sin in their lives. I've just got too much sin in my life, and I can't approach this holy God when I'm such a sinner. How is he going to hear my prayers? How do we address that issue when we're divided about that? Or maybe we feel like we have to pray a certain way uh, when we pray, that we aren't getting the answers to our prayers because uh, I'm just not eloquent enough. I don't have the same words that that guy at church has, and so why should God even accept my prayers? I, I just, I'm just not polished enough. My, my prayers aren't refined enough. Just last week, my professor was talking about, uh, one of my professors was talking about uh, how when he was a missionary somewhere in East Asia, I can't remember exactly where it was, he kind of traveled around uh, China, Taiwan, North Korea, like right on the border there, and anyway, he said that over there, they had an honorific prayer language in places where there was words that you only used when you were in prayer. You didn't use them in normal, everyday life. It was just a prayer language. It was really strange. And he said uh, his wife, who came out of that, that culture, when they came to the United States and she started to learn English, she said that's when her prayer life began to take off because she learned how to pray relationally, that I can just pray in the same words that I converse with my friends and family in. You know, and, and so we don't have that big of a problem. We don't have some honorific prayer language, but at times we do get divided over the way that we're praying. We're so focused on what we're praying that the prayer dies on our lips because we're so concerned about the words that we're using. I'm not eloquent enough. I'm not refined enough. Um, frustration number four is the doubtful prayer life. Now, we all know the frustration of praying hard for something, praying persistently for something, and it doesn't get answered the way we want, and we become discouraged because, from our view, it was an unanswered prayer. Or God didn't answer it the way we wanted to. Uh, sometimes we think, why pray to God at all if he's sovereign? Does prayer change anything? I doubt that my prayer changes anything, we think. Uh, how can God hear all of our prayers? Doesn't he get tired? Am I pestering God when I pray? These are prayer doubts. Uh, just a few questions and frustrations that I want to address uh, through this series. Um, we most definitely are going to be challenged in our prayer lives through this series, no doubt. Prayer is, at times, a battle, a spiritual battle, and we'll look at that. But again, I don't want this series to be a slap on the wrist only. Uh, my intention is that we would rekindle our prayer lives. 
if need be, and learn to enjoy our prayer lives. Again, I want you to enjoy your prayer life, to long for prayer, to long to have time spent in prayer, and to do it confidently because you know what the Bible says about it. Nothing is going to bring you freedom in your prayer life like seeing what the Bible teaches about it. And that's what I'm excited about because I think a lot of us get tripped up and divided in that area. We just don't know what the Bible says about it. And the first thing we want to do uh, to start addressing some of these frustrations is to start to get a glimpse of what a healthy prayer life looks like foundationally. Uh, we've got to turn to uh, the greatest prayer warrior there ever was. You know his name? Jesus, right? He's always the greatest example. So let's read about him in Mark chapter 1, verses 32 through 39 this morning. Um, we were in this chapter, actually, back in 2020, but um, we're back again because this is one of the greatest passages on prayer, and it's our focus now going through here. So uh, verses 32 through 34 read, When evening came, after the sun had set, they began bringing to him all, that is to Jesus, all who were ill and those who were demon-possessed. And the whole city gathered at the door. And he healed many who were ill with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he was not permitting the demons to speak because they knew who he was. So, uh, a very busy uh, day in the life of Jesus that we just read about, real briefly. And I want to give us some context so we understand it. Um, at this point in the Gospel of Mark, obviously very early on, it's Mark chapter 1, uh, Jesus, so far, he has been tested in the wilderness. He's been baptized by John, and he's just started to kick off his ministry. He's just starting to choose his disciples. He's just chosen them to follow him. And he has made his way up to uh, Capernaum on the north side of the Sea of Galilee, up in Galilee, in the northern region of Israel, not down by Jerusalem and Judea, but up in Galilee, north side of the sea, right on the edge there at Peter's house. And he starts off his ministry here uh, with fireworks, I'm telling you. Uh, did you see that? The whole city gathered at the door. Why? Because of what we read in the previous accounts just before our text here. In verses 21 through 28, you'll read how Jesus amazed people with his teachings in the synagogue. Uh, he, it says he didn't, people were amazed because he didn't teach like a scribe. He taught like a prophet. He spoke with authority. He also, in this synagogue, cast out an evil spirit that came out of the man calling Jesus the Holy One of God. And that perked people's interests, right? And then Mark one twenty seven says, because of this, immediately, news about him spread everywhere into all the surrounding district of Galilee. So everybody wanted to witness what they just witnessed in that synagogue. Everybody wanted to witness the powerful ministry that Jesus had that for 30 years has been hiding, right? It's kind of below the surface there. And it finally starts his ministry. I like what William uh, Lane said. One commentator, he's, one commentator said, that at this moment, the disturbance of men by God had begun. All of a sudden, there was a great disturbance with what Jesus was doing and saying. 
And then immediately after the synagogue incident, verses 29 through 31, that next paragraph, just before our passage, they come to the house of Peter, also known as Simon or Cephas and Andrew. Uh, uh, They come to the house of Peter and Andrew where Peter's mother-in-law is lying sick with a fever. Now, if Peter had a mother-in-law, what does that imply? (laughs) He was married, right? In contrast to Roman Catholic doctrine. Peter was married. Some of the other apostles were married. They took their wives with them on their journeys. So, now beside the point. But Jesus comes. He takes Peter's mother-in-law by the hand. He raises her up and he heals her instantly. A woman lying down sick with a fever. You know how debilitating fevers can be and crippling. Well, Jesus comes, takes her by the hand. She stands up and she just she's completely healed. There is no trace of weakness in her at all and we know that because she starts to serve Jesus and the disciples she becomes all hospitable she's walking around doing her thing as if she never had a fever in the first place but um, another sign here that uh, is given that demonstrates Jesus's authority his power his authority was seen over the spiritual demonic satanic realm when he cast out the demons and now, and he did that, by the way, without using all the different charms and incantations and all these different things that people were trying to cast out demons with back in Jesus' day. They had all sorts of different spells and potions. You know? <laughs> but Jesus just commands the demon to come out. But then he also demonstrates his authority over the physical realm and that he just heals Peter's mother-in-law of her sickness immediately. And both of these by the way, took place on the Sabbath day. And that's why when the Sabbath ends at sunset, it says, after the sun had set, set verse 32, they, then they began bringing to him all who were ill and who were uh, demon-possessed. That's after the sun had set that the whole city gathered at the door of Peter's house to see Jesus. Um, the Sabbath isn't Saturday as we think of it. The Sabbath is from Friday at sunset to Saturday at sunset. That's when it starts and that's when it ends. That's helpful to think about when you're reading through um, the New Testament scriptures. Uh, The Sabbath ends Saturday evening, they said, when there was three stars in the sky, when you could see three stars in the sky at twilight after the sun had gone down. And until that point, from Friday uh, evening till Saturday evening, Israel, the land of Israel, even today, basically shuts down entirely can't do anything you can't go anywhere Um, the oral law of the pharisees that we've talked about a few times the past uh, month or so uh, it's just keeps coming back up the oral law was the the cultural traditions that they passed on orally you know it wasn't god's written law it's the oral law that was basically from the pharisees and this oral law also turned into rabbinic judaism once the temple was gone And the temple's gone, so all the stuff that had to deal with the Sadducees and their order over that, that was gone. And what was left over was the Pharisaic oral law. And that turned into rabbinic Judaism. That's what you see today in a lot of Judaism is these legal codes that are just left over that aren't really connected to the scriptures. It's just extra-biblical man-made traditions. But um, so... On the Sabbath, back then, you couldn't travel more than 2,000 cubits on the Sabbath day, which is about a half a mile. 
And I'm pretty sure you're going to use that up going to synagogue and back, walking. Um, for the most part. Um, you couldn't heal on the Sabbath. That was one of the big discrepancies that led to the crucifixion. Jesus healing people on the Sabbath. They got angry with him. He wasn't keeping their oral law. Um, another one was you couldn't carry burdens on the Sabbath. You can't pick things up and carry them on the Sabbath, including people who were ill and demon-possessed, people like Peter's mother-in-law. You couldn't carry burdens on the Sabbath. And so um, as soon as the Sabbath ends, that's when people come. That's when they come and they flood the home of Peter, and there's a lingering line of lanterns at Peter's door. If they were that orderly, I doubt it. <laughs> right? They were cramming, trying to get into Peter's house just so Jesus could teach them and heal them. And uh, it's a wonderful picture, isn't it, of Jesus as the prophetic servant from the Old Testament. Uh, he is a sacrificial servant. Here it is, nighttime. Everybody's getting ready to go to bed. And that's when everybody rushes to Jesus. And he is serving, ministering to these people long into the night. I mean, you have to imagine this guy probably went to bed at midnight that night. Uh, and and I don't, we don't know exactly when, but that's kind of the picture you get. This is a busy day for Jesus. He wakes up, he's preaching in the synagogue, and late into the night, he's, I should go this way for you, but he's healing people, ministering to them. When does Jesus find time to pray? Well, let's look at verses 35 through 39. We get a glimpse of the prayer life of Jesus. In the early morning, this is the next morning, he was up late all night. In the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went away to a secluded place and was praying there. And Simon and his companions searched for him. They found him and said to him, everyone's looking for you. And he said to them, let us go somewhere else to the towns nearby so that I may preach there also. For that is what I came for. And he went into their synagogues throughout all Galilee, preaching and casting out demons. So Jesus is up healing people late into the night, probably gets a few hours of rest because it says that he has to get up again. But he's up after a few hours of rest while it's still dark and he leaves, goes to a secluded place to pray. You know, God, we know, never wears out. God never gets tired like we do. But what do we know about Jesus? He was both fully God and fully man he was fully human so you better believe that when he woke up early this morning while it was still dark he was feeling pretty weary um he needs his sleep too right as we see him sleeping uh on a boat sailing across the sea of galilee one time right but um we don't know if uh he was always getting up this early to pray, but we do know that he did that here, and it was his pattern to at least get away at times alone and pray. Luke 5.16 says Jesus would, Jesus would often slip away into the wilderness and pray. He did it often. This was his habit. This was his pattern. Uh, he had to have time spent with the Father alone. You have to think, this guy, throughout the day, he's spending, I mean, he's the nucleus of this group with 12 disciples, and, well, there's, 
there's the three, Peter, James, and John, the inner circle, and then the 12 disciples, and then the 70 disciples, and then the whole cities were following him. I mean, this guy is hounded all day and night. He's got to get up and pray at some point, get some alone time with God. And so that's when he chose to do it, at least here. But uh, again, it's his practice. He had to spend time with the Father. He could not. Uh, he viewed, we could say, prayer is the highest activity of the human soul. And I think that's really key when it comes to that frustration of, of busyness in our lives. Um, we've got to realize, again, the priority that prayer is. To see it as the highest activity of the human soul. And when you see it that way, when you see prayer like Jesus did, and how much you need it, well then, you're going to sacrifice for it. Sometimes we just flat out need a higher view of prayer to pray, to sacrifice for it. Whether it's morning, noon, or night. It doesn't matter what time you pray. The point is to just pray, just pray. It's the highest activity of the human soul. Well, while Jesus is praying, meanwhile, others wake up to find Jesus missing. He got up, didn't tell anybody, just walked out the door. Um, but because of the excitement in town, uh, people are up with the chickens too, and they're gathering at the door again. They all went home for the night for a few hours, and now they're back at the door. They, they want to see Jesus. And the disciples, they're excited to capitalize on this, this, this uh, opportunity, his sudden popularity, and so they put out a search party. And when they finally find Jesus, they try to bring him back to, to, to keep healing all these people, and Jesus says, you know, it's, it's time to move on. Time to move on. Time to keep preaching in other towns. That's what I came for. Where did he get that idea, do you wonder? How did he know it was time to move on? How did he know where the Father was guiding him that day? Because he spent time in prayer. You better believe it. Because he was staying connected to the Father. Jesus said, I don't do anything apart from my Father. I only do my Father's will. I only do what I see my Father doing. 100% completely dependent upon the Father. The most dependent person who ever lived was Jesus Christ. And yet we still think we don't need him ourselves. And it shows up in our prayer lives. Prayer kept Jesus on track. It kept him from following and in, falling into the temptation of wanting to go back to the adoring fans. You know how easy it would have been for him to go back there and just let people build him a throne right then and there and just minister to the crowd and please everybody. He had a great audience there already. He says, no, it's time to move on. Other people need to witness so they can believe. And prayer, you see it there, has a recentering power in his life. It reminds him, reminds us of what's important. Without solitude and prayer, we lose our way. We just get lost. This becomes a dry and weary land. One man said, if we don't come apart for a while, we'll come apart in a while. We got to come apart. We got to spend time with God so we don't come apart. In a while. But you think that because Jesus is the Son of God, he wouldn't need to pray. Uh, but he did. And we're going to take a couple uh, more principles home for our own prayer lives as we consider his. One of them is that we need to just have a regular prayer time where we're alone with God. 
have a regular prayer time where you're alone with God. Just to, let's just lay that foundation out. Later on, we're going to talk about the importance of praying continually. You know, the Bible says to pray continually, never cease in prayer. Well, we're going to talk about what that looks like later, but right now, we just need to establish the importance of establishing a quiet time with God in prayer. I mean, even when Jesus was incredibly busy, like on this Sabbath, after this Sabbath, where he was up from sunup to sundown, past sundown, healing people, he made it his practice. He still had the wisdom, he had the discipline to spend time alone with the Father. He would frequent the Mount of Olives or another secluded place to pray. Um, he just wanted to be and always was perfectly in tune with the Father at all times. He knew he needed time alone with the Father. And uh, he spent a great amount of time in prayer as an example for us because we do too. We need it too. Um, now, it, here's something interesting. It appears that for many, like many for the, today, um, in Jesus' day, even going back into the Old Testament, morning was a normal time for prayer for the Jews. Psalm, you'll read this about this in the Psalms. Uh, Psalm 5.3, it says, In the morning I will order my prayer to you and eagerly watch. Uh, different verses about prayer. There's other Psalms talking about it. Uh, establishing their prayers in the morning. Uh, personally, uh, that's when I prefer to pray, to have alone time with God. Uh, though, again, it's not always possible, but that's at least when I prefer to do it. I just find it helpful to commit my day to the Lord before I go to do anything that day. <laughs> I want to pray over it uh, first. And so that's when I find it helpful. That's when I prefer to do it. But um, there's a lot of scriptures, too, that we could turn to that, that say that this sort of prayer is acceptable all around the clock, you know, in the morning, at noon. When did Peter get his vision? He's praying on a rooftop at noon in Acts chapter 10. I mean, you can talk about Jesus praying in through the night. You can pray. The time doesn't matter. That's not the point here. And if you get legalistic about your prayer time, let me tell you, your schedule will not follow your legalism. You'll frustrate yourself. Because you've set this time and your schedule doesn't always allow for that. So um, even your schedule doesn't like legalism in prayer. The point is to just pray and to find significant time with God in prayer. Um, when Jesus slipped away to a secluded place to pray, he was living out his own teachings from Matthew chapter 6, which says, but when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you, and pray to your Father in private. Go into an inner room, shut the door behind you, pray to your Father in private, and then your Father who sees what is done in secret um, will reward you. So, in the cultural context Jesus was in, it was typical for religious Jews to, in that day to make a, a show of prayer on the streets. I mean, they had categorized their entire life, and they had prayers to pray throughout the day, three times a day, 18 times a day. I mean, it just kind of became traditional prayers from script, from rote. 
And they would do it as a show on the streets to show everybody how religious they are. And that was a huge problem. And so uh, there's nothing wrong, again, with praying in public, but they were doing it for the sake of appearing righteous. And uh, they were hypocrites, Jesus said, for that. And to make a, as great of a contrast as possible between what the standard religious Jew was doing, right? Some of these, these Pharisees, um, praying publicly, making a show of it, gathering wherever the crowds gathered to pray. Jesus says, in contrast to that, go into an inner room and pray in private, pray in, in secret. Um, go into a storage closet, you might say, and shut the door. <laughs> Again, it doesn't matter where, it doesn't matter the time, location and time don't matter. What matters is he, what he's teaching here is the, is the attitude and the motives in prayer. Prayer is not about showing off to God. It's not meritorious. I'm not trying to earn favor with God so that he'll save me. I'm not showing off to other men to show them how religious I am. This prayer is about spending time with the Lord. And if you literally go into a closet where no one is and you're in private, you're going to just find it a little bit easier to spend that quality time with the Lord. But anyway, he's just making a big contrast here. You know, you can, honestly, you don't have to go into a closet. You can pray alone with God in a busy airport, in Miami airport. Nobody even has to know you're praying. Your eyes can be open. You can have alone time with God that morning. Nobody even knows it. But here you are sitting there praying, surrounded by a ton of people, surrounded by the announcements going on through the airport, different flights leaving and coming, and you're still alone with God. But that's the point. Spend time in fellowship with the Lord. Reconnect with him through prayer. And this verse, Matthew 6, 6, um, is the verse that I want to use as our memory verse for this series. It's just been on my mind and my heart for so many weeks now leading up to this, and it won't go away. And uh, I found it such a joy to live it. And let's just recite this memory verse this morning. You want to do that? I, um, next week, plan to have us some nice bookmarks with this prayer verse on it. But let's recite this together. But when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you, and pray to your Father in private. And then your Father, who sees everything, will reward you. Much of our prayer lives are going to take place just like that, in secret. Your family might know when you're praying. They might even know what you're praying sometimes because you have, a, I don't know, some things that you tend to pray about. But much of your prayer life is going to take place in secret. And how rewarding. What we do in secret, he says he will reward us for. So what he doesn't tell us what the reward is, but I can imagine that part of the reward is answered prayer. When the Pharisees prayed out loud on the streets, he said, you've already gotten your reward. The, 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 you know, the congratulations of men. You're a religious person. Good job. You've prayed. Um, when, when us, when we pray in secret, 
God rewards us with answered prayer. He rewards us with fruit that's born through prayer. He, 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 he rewards us by acting on our prayers, answering them. And then he also gives us eternal rewards for just being faithful in prayer. Um, God is sovereign. We know that, right? But he also answers prayer. And a good example of that is in Exodus 32 where Moses intercedes on behalf of idolatrous Israel. God's ready to stomp them out and restart with Moses' descendants. He says, I'll wipe this entire nation out. This grumbling, idolatrous congregation, I'm done with them. I'll restart with you, Moses. And Moses gets on his knees and he prays and he intercedes for Israel. And it says God relents. It's a good example of answered prayer. So is God sovereign? Yes. But prayer does matter. Prayer does make a difference. He honors it. He honors our choices, he honors our, our faithfulness, and he does respond in pr- to our prayers. And the last principle is just this one. Um, pray like a child. I'll talk about this more later, but I just want to introduce it now. Pray like a child. Sometimes, again, we become so focused on the format of our prayers and what we're praying that we forget to just pray. Pray what's on your heart. Isn't that what kids do? They come to you and they just blurt things out, right? <laughs> Whatever's on their heart and mind. And you welcome that. You welcome their hearts when they pour them out before you. And so does God with us when we come to him with childlike humility and, and humbleness and honesty. Just be honest. Pour it out. And, uh, you know, prayer... Some of you guys, you're going to go to prayer this week, and I know it. You're going to get so frustrated by distractions. So just get a pen out. Pray with a pen handy. I'll make this a point later. But pray with a pen handy. Write the things out. Write your to-do list out when it comes to your mind, and then get back to prayer. And don't worry about it. Because you're... Don't worry about distractions. Because how many times have you had a conversation, a long conversation, and you're over here, and then you're over here, and then you're up here, and then you're down here, and your conversation with that person just naturally shifts, doesn't it? You don't say to your friend, well, let's now talk about this. Now let's talk about this. Your your conversations are dynamic. And that's how it is in your conversation with God. It's a good thing. It's a God thing. When there's flow, just have a conversation with God. Um, So I just want to encourage you with that. And if you're you're new to prayer, um, maybe just take just say I'm gonna just gonna spend five minutes today. Tomorrow I'm just gonna take ten minutes and pray. And before long you might be spending thirty minutes some days in prayer, and you're you're looking back at the clock going, where did the time go? So that's my encouragement uh, to you. Just provide the time and environment where closeness can happen in your relationship with the Lord.